0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials. Today, we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, November 17th, and we're catching up on the debut of bird i'm your host dylan lewis and i'm joined by fool.com's phantom boss of bulldozing busy busted bikes brian for brian how's it going
1: i really struggled with that last word there bikes i wanted (laughs) to fit scooters in somehow but it just didn't start with a b dylan
0: I think with alliteration, people can usually tell where we're heading with an episode, right? Uh, in th- in this case, we're talking about Bird Global, uh, a a business that I think probably some listeners, especially if they live in a major U.S. city, uh, have probably interacted with.
1: I actually got to go on a bird. Scooter for the first time about a month ago. So this is one of the companies that I've actually had experience with uh, firsthand, even though I myself live in the suburbs and I checked my app this morning. There are no bird scooters within anywhere close to me, uh, but I did have an experience and I got to go on a roughly 10 mile trip on a bird, uh, bird scooter. Overall, a positive experience.
0: Yeah, um, these uh, these scooters and and really this business model became super popular. Really burst onto the scene a couple of years ago. Um, and Bird is one of the companies that's really synonymous with the e scooter rental market. Um, just for a little background on folks, uh, for folks who maybe aren't as familiar uh, with this business. Known primarily for these e-scooters that you will see in these major metropolitan areas, uh, they came public via a SPAC earlier this month at roughly a two billion dollar valuation. Uh, Brian currently in over three hundred and fifty cities and boasts over a hundred million rides to date. Those are staggering numbers for a company that's only been around for a couple of years.
1: They really are. And this company, what's equally as impressive is the the rate that this company has has grown. I mean, even today, they're 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 dominant in, uh, in in North America, or that's their, their initial market. But they're also available in Western Europe and Australia, and they are expanding
0: quickly. So if you're not like Brian, if you haven't had the chance to actually hop on a bird, um, and you're not in one of those 350 cities that they're currently in, uh, the business model is pretty simple. Um, they have these electric scooters. Um, they basically have them available in certain parts of cities, and then you can rent them. Uh, there's a, a set I think it's a dollar uh, to kind of secure the rental. And then you pay per minute uh, for all the time that you're driving. So it's kind of a mix of a, a reservation model and a usage model.
1: You literally download the app as a consumer, sign up the same way you would do for an Uber, and then you walk up to a scooter. The scooter has a QR code on it that you scan with the app. Once the signal is sent to the scooter, it unlocks and you can use it as much as you want. And they bill on a, a per minute basis. So it's $1 to kind of unlock it and then $0.39 cents per minute. And these things are just everywhere in cities that, uh, you know, in, in major metropolitan cities that they that they blanket. So it really is a like convenience decision um, that you decide, hey, I'm going to be traveling. And if you see one of these on the way, you might, you might decide to pick it up and take it.
0: Yeah, and and the major tailwinds here are are pretty straightforward. You have a very effective last mile transportation system. You know, what, what I think these scooters are really excellent for is connecting the dots, particularly within cities that have their own public infrastructure. Uh, but, you know, depending on the way that that may be set up, uh, you know, the, the metro lines are underground, they're expensive, they take a long time to build, sometimes city development outpaces the development of bus lines or of underground metro lines. Uh, and this is a great way to stitch together, you know, getting from a stop to maybe a restaurant that's a mile away from a stop, um, But they do have multi mile battery lengths and they are something that's super, super popular. Um, you know, Brian, I think a lot of people may be familiar with this space because there have been no shortage of articles about the space, particularly because uh, if you live in one of the cities where these scooters are available, some people feel like they're a little bit of a nuisance. Uh, they've been kind of littered all over uh, the sidewalks of cities. We've seen increasing regulation in the space. I've seen it here locally in Washington D.C. Uh, a little bit more restrictive in where these are used. But this feels like a very effective way for people to get around, and it also ties into the e-mobility movement, which we know is absolutely huge right now.
1: Yeah. Before I gave these, before I gave the scooter a chance firsthand. I was under the impression that these things had like a shelf life of a month or two, and if you look in the first generation that a bird was using, that was pretty close to to reality. The average uh, the average bird bike at the time, and they bought it kind of off the shelf. uh, They lasted about three months. What we've seen from this company is continual innovation, and every time they roll out an updated version of their birds, not only does the battery get faster and the distance get longer, but the uh, the shelf life of these things has increased to the point where they the Average scooter now can last for 18 or even 24 months. So the dynamics there have changed completely.
0: Yeah, that was one of the major criticisms of this market in general early on. I think I remember saying, you know, if you rent a scooter for four dollars or whatever it might be, you're going to ride it like you rented it for four dollars. You know, you. <laughs> and if you have these, um, these basically fresh off the shelf Xiaomi uh, M365 scooters, that's that's what they launched with. Um, they weren't necessarily built with ride-sharing in mind and and the gig economy in mind, where you have a bunch of different people using it over the course of the day. There's a lot of wear and tear that, that winds up working its way onto that that vehicle they are now designing their own uh, they seem much more rugged, they have much more efficient batteries and also better safety features, some anti-theft firmware as well. So that has moved along and I think we've been able to kind of see the light a little bit more with profitability because of that because there's a little bit less turnover within the fleet. We've also seen some evolution in the company's business model even in just the couple years that it's been operating, Brian.
1: When this company first launched, its business model was to essentially do everything itself. So it would uh, buy the buy the buy the uh, the scooters. It would spread them around the city, and it would take on the responsibility for uh, for maintaining maintaining them, for moving them, for um. Uh, charging charging them etc it was basically doing everything itself in-house and that's a capital intensive uh, process and, and very costly uh, front especially since they're getting so little, such little money uh, uh, per ride what we've seen in the last couple of years is they've been shifting towards a fleet model uh, where they essentially, Outsource all of the um, in-person maintenance of these things, the charging of these things, um, the storage of these, uh, storage of the scooters, uh, to, a, a, to a fleet. So if you and I were interested, we could actually go to, to Bird and become a fleet manager ourselves. We could get, we could take ownership of 25, 50, even 100 of these scooters, and then we would take on the, all of the uh, the maintenance responsibility. That decision by the company has changed the company's business model for the better.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get to the financials. I mean, it's a dramatically different looking business now than a couple of years ago. Uh, It's it's much more favorable for them. Um, I think one interesting side effect of that is that it also makes growth within um, the the geographic footprint a lot easier for them because they can work with people who have local knowledge and are physically already on the ground in these places that they want to expand to so i, I imagine that it was probably pretty helpful for them in joining more metropolitan areas um, and just just expanding the footprint of bird scooters
1: yeah, imagine how much slower Uber would have to go if it if if it bought the cars itself, if it maintained the cars itself, if it hired the drivers itself, uh, versus basically outsourcing all that to locals. So that that decision to outsource it to these fleet managers has allowed the company to grow much 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 faster.
0: So you just mentioned Uber, Brian. I think there are a couple easy ways to think about some of the market dynamics here with these businesses. Uh, one of them is you know it it looks an awful lot like Uber. In fact, Uber plays in this space. Um, there, are, there are parts of this market that also remind me a little bit of meal delivery, Brian, in that like, there are multiple providers in a lot of the big markets, the major metro areas, there's not a lot of mutual exclusivity to them. The difference is you know, they, they have their own branded fleets here, but there's nothing to keep one customer necessarily from using Lyft, Uber, and Bird for local mobility.
1: I think that that's a, a a key point because as you read through the company's presentation, the materials that are available to you, they really try and push that they have a strong competitive advantage. And if you were to just think about it, you could see that they do have some. They say they say that they are first mover in the space. Uh, they believe that there are local network effects at play. So if you are going to be choosing uh, one of these scooter companies to go with, you want the one that has the most availability uh, in your area. And conversely, if you're going to become a fleet manager, you want the you want to be on the platform. Platform that has the most uh, demand. Uh, once you get this app installed on your phone and start using it, there are some switching costs, and even at the um, um, the, the company uh, level, there are permits that have to be uh, obtained. There are local government regulations that have to be. Um, complied with. There's also just the data effect of where do you actually place these things and and uh, to make them uh, more useful. When you combine all those things together, I think it's easy to walk yourself into saying, yes, this company does have a very, very strong competitive advantage. But like you said, uh, I pre- perhaps have some mental scars from my experience with Grubhub when many of these dynamics were in play and I thought the company's moat was unassailable and oops, turned out to be not the case.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the hard parts about some of these very fast-growing newer markets. Um, there are parts of it that look like meal delivery, but then they—they, they, you know—they are not using uh, the same vehicles the way an Uber or a Lyft are. You know, I mean, one of the interesting things with Uber and Lyft is by going into a market and creating a workforce of these contractors who are willing to do ride sharing. Um, one of those companies kind of creates a workforce for the other one because there's no mutual exclusivity between driving between them at least in the case of the e-scooter market um you're only riding that one piece of hardware you know you can't use that same scooter uh to hop on uh you know a lift ride or an uber ride you have to use it for a bird ride
1: for sure and I Right now, there's a lot of competition, and you're going to list off those competitors later. I do wonder what this market looks like long-term. It wouldn't surprise me if we see something similar in this market that we've seen in meal delivery, where eventually it leads to consolidation, because how many of these companies do you really need in any given market? I would say one, maybe two at most.
0: Yeah. And actually, I mean, the specter of consolidation has been there for a while. There were there were rumors uh, that Bird was actually going to be acquired by one of the larger ride-hailing businesses. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but it it has fit into the roadmap for these businesses because at core, they're really more mobility businesses than just, just ride-hailing businesses. Um, one thing that I, I do want to highlight is this is a founder-led business and one that has the pedigree of of people that have worked in this industry for a while. So, uh, Travis VanderZanden is the founder and CEO. He is the former COO at Uber. And the VP of International Growth at Uber. So I, I think safe to say he knows what he's doing in this market. Um, and the company's CFO Yibo Ling is also a former Uber employee, led corporate development, strategy, M and A, and expansion in China. So I, just in terms of looking at the checklist here, Brian, I think this is probably a leadership team that is very qualified to be in this space.
1: Yeah, lo- love to see that. I mean, if you could pick any company to have on the leadership's resume, it would have to be Uber, given the market dynamics that you're going out there. So, if you like to invest in founder-led businesses, as you should, this this company certainly checks that box.
0: Um, you mentioned the torrid growth in this space before, Brian. Um, there, there was a little bit of wonkiness with the year-over-year numbers because this was an industry that was hit particularly hard by the pandemic. Uh, so, we're going up against some interesting comps when it comes to revenue. Uh, but in the recent quarter. Revenue was $65 up 63% year over year. I think one of the most interesting things for me in watching this business is we talked about the fleet management practices before. We are seeing that uh, benefit the company in its gross margin. Gross margin was 21% in the most recent quarter. The company has achieved positive gross margin for the past four quarters. And if you look back, 2018 in particular, they were posting negative 300% ride profit margins after factoring in vehicle depreciation. That right there says how important that switch was in their business model.
1: It really is. And that is something that you're going to have to take in mind when you're looking at this company's uh, financials, But the, because the company reports gross transaction value. And that figure in the most recent quarter was actually $80 million, up 60%. But they only recorded revenue of $65 million. So there is a difference between those two, depending on how much money they are actually sharing uh, with those ride partners. And, and to your point, the gross margin here has improved dramatically uh, because of their decision to go with fleet managers. Now, one thing I will point out about this company is they really try and highlight gross margin before depreciation and saying, "Look how wonderful this number is." Uh, to me, I, I I call I call them out on that. This is a company that you absolutely have to factor in depreciation, given the shelf life uh, of these products. So don't look at adjusted gross margin and be wowed here. Focus on the actual gross margin that accounts for depreciation, because that is a major expense for this business.
0: That's a great point, Brian. And I will say, I, I have a lot of experience uh, firsthand seeing scooters out in the wild in Washington D.C. And uh, there are a lot of people who are good stewards of their electric scooters. They put them where they're supposed to be. But there are a lot of times where I see them ditched on the side of the road, you know, kind of thrown into a bush, uh, you know, or or like like left in a pile of rocks or whatever it might be. Um, people are not necessarily taking care of these the way they would their own uh, you know, property, and, and that means that the fleet management is huge. Uh, and it also means that until we see that stabilize, we, we've seen that the life of these vehicles has improved over time as they've been more involved in the design process. Um, you kinda, it, it, it's just a necessary part of looking at this business. To, to ignore it would be silly.
1: And I think that this month, this number can continue to improve over time as new versions of this come out. And perhaps if they if they discover that some riders have a history of trashing their devices, maybe they lock them out and just kick them out from being a customer uh, altogether. All so I think there is room for this number to improve. But the key point is you have to factor in uh, depreciation when you're looking at this company income statement.
0: Yeah, it's it's a huge part of the equation, and I think one of the other opportunities for upside with them, with that margin number, is the utilization of the scooters that are out there. You know, to some extent, that gross margin is going to be capped a little bit because they are electric and because they need to be charged in order to work. Um, but there is upside, and, and we saw just with the dip in uh, activity due to COVID um, that that. They are able to work back to a number now that resembles where they were pre-COVID. I think there's probably still some upside for them as well. Uh, rides hit 15 million for the quarter, which is up 100% year over year. Which, like I said, we're we're lapping COVID numbers, so so it's impressive growth. Um, but I think the key to kind of normalize those a little bit is to look at the average rides per day. Uh, 2.1 for this most recent quarter versus 1.6 a year ago, so 31% year over year growth. If you look back pre-pandemic, they were getting just under three rides per day, so there's clearly room for them to grow there. And then if you look at some of the other measures and, and the ways that they can grow that top line, um, the deployed vehicles number is something to pay attention to. That hit 78 million in this recent quarter, up 50%. So Brian, if you take the average rides and you take the average deployed vehicles, those two more or less round to the increase in overall rides for the company.
1: Yeah, those two numbers are are solid, and it definitely paints a very bullish picture for the company to say, we think we can get that 2.1 rides per day back up to pre-pandemic levels of three times uh, per day. Uh, Offsetting that, of course, is the fact that competition now is much higher uh, than it was uh, uh, previously. And What's more, I don't think these these, um, scooters are going to have the same utilization in all cities that they're deployed in. You could very much see these being extremely popular in walkable cities like, say, New York City, um, Miami, uh, for example, but there's only so many of those cities where these kind of scooters make sense. So it's hard to suss out where that number normalizes in the long term.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to see what that looks like, broken out by geography or by local market, and just see you know where, where are the high utilization cities, where are the low utilization cities. Because I think you're right. I think you know there there are going to be cities that are just generally a little bit more lucrative for them to be in um, not to say that you know they, they shouldn't be in as many markets as they feel like they can make money but I think yeah I think if it's more walkable and if the local infrastructure whether it be sidewalks bike paths all that kinds of things lend themselves more to this this form of mobility especially for people who are a little bit less comfortable on them um, you know it, it's going to have an impact on what that number looks like. Long term. Um, If if you're looking at the books and you're trying to figure out where this company is going over the course of the full year, uh, they just increased their guidance. We're looking at uh, somewhere around 200 million for the full year. Um, And they also adjusted down their EBITDA losses in this most recent quarter that they reported. So, Brian, 200 million for the full year revenue. Uh, The business is currently worth about $2 billion. Some simple math there. That's about a 10 times multiple on sales.
1: Doesn't seem too bad, does it, when you're comparing that to some of the SaaS companies uh, that we like to look at? Uh, However, this is why it's helpful to go one step below the top line and look at that gross profit, because not all high growth companies are created equally. Gross margin really, really matters here. And just as an example, if you look at this company's trailing 12 months uh, gross profit, so after factoring that gross margin, uh, that number goes from, say, 200 million down to 29 million. So, while they're only trading at 10 times sales, they're trading at closer to 68, 69 times gross profit. So, that shows you how important gross margins can be. So, I don't think this is a business that will ever garner a 15 or 20x uh, sales multiple just because of the gross margin dynamic.
0: Yeah, I think that's 100% right. I think there's upside from where they are now, but let, let's be real. I mean, this is a, a capital intensive business. Um, and even when, um, you know, they're able to do things like fleet management and and kind of move some of those costs off to the side, um, you're constrained by battery life. There there are just physical constraints to this business that don't necessarily exist for software businesses. Um, and that is, uh, you know, both a pro and a con, because in some ways, it's a barrier for competition, um, along with the government permitting and those types of things. But it is something that is going to restrict the financials uh, a little bit. Um, I think if, if you're looking at this business and trying to figure out, okay, what, what is Anything look like outside of this e-scooter market? We talked about how Uber and Lyft are really mobility focused. Um, They've talked a little bit about you know expanding their footprint, being in more cities, Um, but they've also looked at e-bikes, launching bike shares, something similar to you know uh, what we see with City Bikes and Capital Bike Shares here in Washington D.C. Um, And they're also eyeing retail opportunities in the e-bike market. Um, This is in a lot of ways, Brian, kind of an electric mobility play in addition to just being a, a kind of city mobility and e-scooter play.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. Their their move into bike sharing clearly makes sense. They already have a marketplace of consumers that are using this. And there are some trips that you want to take locally that an electric bike is more suited for, especially if you want to go somewhere and pick up packages or, 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 or make delivery. Uh, in addition to that, they're planning on taking their e-bike and not only making it uh, ride shareable, but they're also going to going to straight e-bike sales. And that is a market that is growing rapidly and expected to continue growing uh, for a long period of time. If you look at any of the company's forecasts for how big the total adjustable market opportunity is, I mean, they're just doing some quick math saying blank people times blank rides per day equals all the money on the face of the earth. Uh, but the point is to the company, um, there's no shortage of growth opportunities for, for this business. It just boils down to execution.
0: Yeah, and I've been pleasantly so so far with this company. I mean, there were <laughs> I had some serious, serious unit economic questions when I started seeing all of these uh, e-scooter companies um, really, you know, gaining traction over the last couple of years. Looking at the books now, seeing the pivots that they've made, I-, I think they've built a much more sustainable business. I think the big question for this company is going to be: Can they exist and carve out a meaningful part of that market? Being a smaller player where there are the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world who have these types of options available in their apps, but then they also have ride hailing, they also have food delivery. In Uber's case, you can rent a car from the app. They have a much broader scope. Are people going to be willing to download the Bird app?
1: That was a choice that I made because I was with a group of friends that were all taking Bird. So that's why I gave Bird a try. I, I will be honest, if I had the choice to go with a different company and just use the Uber app that already existed, that's what I would have ha- have done uh, because of the convenience of keeping everything in one. I'm also not a power user. Uh, so the, the absolute cost between the two wasn't a big factor in my decision. It was more of like, what is here right now and what, what are other people doing? But I would like this company much, much more. Or if it had a direct tie in to Uber or Lyft, like one of its competitors, Lime, does.
0: Yeah, so Uber has a minority stake in Lime, uh, the e scooter company, and Uber users can book Lime scooters via the Uber app. Um, and, and Lyft has scooter operations in some of the biggest US cities as well. Um, I think if I had to guess, Bird has the lead in e scooters specifically. Uber and Lyft have the lead in mobility. It's just kind of a matter of where you see the future going. There is, for this market, I think, um, something that can be underappreciated with the local permitting and relationships with local governments because <laughs> the scooters can be such a nuisance to people who don't want to use them, especially if they're littered all over the place. Um, having good government relations is key. That can prove to be something that makes them the exclusive provider in some markets, which would certainly be beneficial. We kind of have to see how the market shakes out a little bit first, though.
1: That would be huge. And even when you're actually on the scooter, uh, I was impressed with how hyperlocal the GPS is. Uh, for example, there are some spots that they don't want you using these scooters, for example, on on dirt trails or just certain geofence parts to the cities. And I can tell you that when you are on the scooter, the, the scooter literally turns off when if you go to a location that you don't want to be. So that kind of hyperlocalization of these devices, I think, should appeal to certain government officials and government uh, regulations. So that that in itself could be a moat long term.
0: So Brian, putting it all together, I think there are some elements here of businesses that we really like. There's there's some solid optionality uh, with bikes. Um, it's a founder led business, and I think I, I've been most impressed with just how they've been able to navigate over the last couple years and create uh, a more financially viable and sustainable business by adjusting their business model.
1: Yeah, and to your point, it's a founder-led company. I've used the product, and I can attest to it that it it does have some some merits. I like their move into to fleet management with offloads uh, some of the uh, the maintenance costs and allows them to grow faster. the The TAM here is obviously huge. Uh, revenue is recurring, and perhaps most importantly all, this is a $2 billion company. Like if this company is successfully executes against its opportunity, could I see it being a 10 or $20 billion company one day? Uh, sure, that's that, that could be in the realm of possibility. So the upside is definitely there. Uh, on the flip side, the competition is really something to to keep an eye on and I don't have a strong feeling for how large the competitive advantages actually are. It's also hard to say how price sensitive uh, customers will be if there gets into a pricing war for one of these companies to grab a uh, market share, does the company have the deep pockets to compete against Uber and Lyft? Uh, no. Uh, the gross margin here is also pretty low. There's also seasonality elements to this business. You're obviously not going to be wanting of using these scooters in the winter, especially if there's snow and stuff uh, 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 on the road. Uh, so Factoring all that in together, this would be more of an interesting watch list uh, idea, but perhaps that's because I still have those mental scars from Grubhub.
0: That makes sense, and and I think you know, for me, like I had uh, kind of enough hurdles being interested in Uber as an investment. I think this is a a more pure play version of that. I will say it's a business I'm rooting for. I I think the the last mile element of things, the electric future element of things, or those are all things I'm excited about. Especially as a city dweller, Um, it just really comes down to you know, can can they carve out their own space in this market um, and continue to meaningfully grow? create you know uh, margin growth opportunities as well maybe expand to some other markets so I think a lot to like here um, and one of the fun things Brian is uh, regardless of whether or not you buy the stock they're really fun to ride the scooters <laughs>
1: For sure. I'm, I'm happy that these things exist because they do offer uh, a utility out, out there. But to me, this is just one one example of a company that's like, it sounds good on paper, but I would prefer to watch the company execute and pay a higher multiple down the road. I would be happy to give up upside potential for more clarity of the situation.
0: Yeah. trade uh, Trade upside for certainty. Right, Brian? That's right. Makes complete sense <laughs> in some cases. Brian, uh, you always make sense. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. <laughs> I don't know about that, but sure, I'll take the compliment, Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on!